broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Chattanooga, Tennessee, it's time for Chattanooga Business Radio. Now, here are your Business Radio X hosts. Hello and welcome to another exciting and informative edition of Chattanooga Business Radio. I'm your host today, Ryan McPherson, and we are broadcasting live from the beautiful Hamilton County Business Development Center here on the North Shore in downtown Chattanooga. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Business Radio X, and today we are using the hashtag Chattanooga Business Radio. It's my distinct pleasure to introduce our headlining guest here this afternoon. Her name is Elizabeth Ruffner, and she is the owner and principal with Ruffner Appraisals and Consulting. Good afternoon, Elizabeth. Good afternoon, Ryan. Thank you for joining us here in the studio today. My pleasure. All right, and we're here to talk about your business, uh, Ruffner Appraisals and Consulting. How long have you been in this? I've been in it for three years, a little over three years, but changed my name or changed the business name, rebranded the business uh, just over a year ago. But you've been in this appraisal industry for a long time now, right? The appraisal industry really only about three years okay. in all different aspects of the art industry for a long time. Yeah. What were you doing previous to this? Previous to this, I was actually the... Um, advanced placement art history teacher at Baylor School here in town. Okay. And before that, I was actually painting and drawing um, and had been studying that here and also in Italy. So you have an artist background is what, where you're coming from. I have an artist background, an archaeology background, um, and uh, interned at Christie's uh, Auction House. In the big New one York, in New York the City. The big one in New York City, oh, wow. correct, in their antiquities department, several, several. And you must have learned a lot there. I did. I did. Yeah, I get exposed to a lot of different artifacts and artwork from around the world of all different uh, backgrounds and such. Uh, do you have a particular art a medium that you like to uh, appraise or, or truly value? I am a huge fan of paintings, okay. um, but I'm also, my first love are antiquities, um, primarily Eastern Mediterranean, Greek, and Roman antiquities. Wow. So that's that's what I studied primarily in college and, and graduate school. Very fascinating. Uh, very a, a very wide range of things that you have to be knowledgeable on. Where do you go to stay current and up to date on uh, what's changing in this world? The internet. Yeah. That's, that's a good spot to go for just about anything. Mr. Google, he'll help you out there. All right, let's talk about Ruffner Appraisals and Consulting. Been around for about three years now. Mm -hmm. And who do you do the appraising and consulting for? Well, I do it both for lawyers and also for private individuals, collectors or families that have, you know, been handed something down and they were just curious about the value or they are um, looking to basically sell pieces and trying to figure out, you know, what to ask for them or if they do want to sell them, if they're going to be worth selling or not. Mm -hmm. So somebody can get in a value to think about selling for you or if they're truly just want to sell, you can provide both of those for them. Correct. Right. And you'll come in and give them a price um, as well as uh, um, how to take it to market necessarily. So you put them up with an auction house or perhaps uh, an estate sale so they can get that uh, price that they want. Correct. Very interesting. And what is the most interesting artwork you've ever been asked to appraise? Well, most recently, I just finished up a project for actually the Treasury Department and um, they had seized a shipment of several shipments actually of pieces coming out of South America that they weren't sure if they were, um, well, they were pre Columbian in nature, but it turned out they were all fakes. Okay. So did that, you discover they were fake? 
Well, with some help. Yes, yeah. I did. I had a hunch that they were fakes when I did see them. And then um, I con- you know, consulted with different um, specialists in the field, both people that are in um, the trade, you know, that are that are that buy and sell mm-hmm. authentic pieces and also scholars, pre-Columbian scholars. So it took you some investigating, a little bit of a homework to kind of figure out these were fakes. Exactly. Right. And that's most of what appraising is, is uh-huh. investigating. And then you had to take your report back to the Treasury Department and they probably didn't want to hear that, but at <laughs> least they got some clarity on what they were holding. Well, yes. And that was one of the the interesting things about it is that when I you know came to the conclusion with some, some support that they were fakes that um, asked the the Treasury Department how they would like for me to proceed from here. And they asked me to go ahead and appraise them as if they were decorative objects. But the tricky part there was that these were very nice um, reproductions. Mm. And so not just something you would find at the museum store and or, you know, basically um, a lot of the things that are produced to look like um well-known pre-Columbian objects are made of basically cast stone and things like that. So I basically I found a man who had a legitimate trade in um, pre-Columbian objects, and he also made um, he had a store in Guatemala that actually did make these high-quality reproductions of these stone masks and these things called stone hachas and. And for people, for customers who did not want to take the risk uh, risk of investing in pre-Columbian pieces, but also did not want to take the risk of basically supporting the looting of pre-Columbian objects as well. So he was kind enough to give me a um, basically what it would cost to recreate these right. pieces. But nonetheless, they were forgeries um, and they were somebody trying to pass them off as, fa- uh, as real or not. I don't know that yeah. for sure, but that would have been my guess. That right, would be yeah. my guess that they were going to, because these pieces look like things that would have gone for six figures at Christie's and right. Sotheby's. So yeah, there's obvious black market for all this stuff out there. People trying to cash in on something that's bogus out there. So uh, now let's talk about the artwork and art collecting in general these days. Who out there is collecting all this art? Is it some of the older retirees or do you find some of the millennials out there putting their hands on some of this art? collections there it's definitely the millennials out there a lot of um the retirees at this point are actually either looking to deacquisition to um but not all of them needless to say but yes there are a lot of younger i don't know if you heard the news the other day about little wayne his 32 million dollar art collection was seized the other day because of um he i think he owed two million dollars in taxes so i'm not sure why they felt the need but the point is is that you know, you've got um, that. Yes, young people are very interested in in collecting art. And so, the young people out there are out there buying and purchasing that the artwork that perhaps the retirees are getting rid of because they can live off that money, right? Whatever reason, uh, but it, you see a little bit of exchange of hands and changing of the guard, so to speak, within the collectible world. Correct. You do see that. Um, However, there is a pretty big difference between what people, especially in Chattanooga, were collecting 30 to 50 years ago and what they are collecting now, which is, you know, just just part of the nature of the business. So a lot of um, like young British artists were very hot, like Damien Hirst, if you've heard of him and lots of contemporary art post World War Two, American mm-hmm. Art, things of that nature are pretty, are really the big collectible things right now. Not so much American Masters or Hudson mm-hmm. River School. Um, 
that's what you saw in the bigger collections here in Chattanooga 30 to 50 years ago. Now, let's say I have a painting that I was given to me by my grandfather, and it's been sitting in the attic, and all of a sudden I'm thinking it may be painted by someone famous or worth something. Is that somebody I, would, I call you to yes. kind of figure that out for me? Walk me through the process. What would that look like? If I call you and I have this painting, do you have to come to the house and see it, or bring it to you? You could bring it to me. I could come to the house. I would, you know, my first suggestion, depending on the age of the painting, or really uh, my first suggestion would be I would come to see the painting because I'm just not a big fan of loading pieces up and moving them around much. I'd like for them to stay mm -hmm. as still but as possible. But you don't know if this piece is something I got at Goodwill and maybe only worth a couple dollars or maybe six figures. You're willing to take that trip out to the house to kind of figure that out for me. Well, what I would ask is... Um, where it came from and possibly where your grandfather, you know, got it. I would ask for some pictures. If oh, you okay. have, you You're know, right. whip out your iPhone and yeah. say, Hey, could you shoot me some picture images of the, um, some close ups of the image? Could you show, shoot me the, the signature? Mm -hmm. Um, if there's anything on the back, send that to me. Um, and nine, you know, lots of times I, I, I can, decide, figure out from those images whether it's going to be a waste of my time and your money or if it, it is, you know, worth coming to take a look and at. And then how long does it take you to get a look at that painting? Is there some special things you have to do to figure out if it truly is authentic or how long does it take you before you can give me a quote on that? Well, first of all, appraisers are not authenticators okay. necessarily. See, you're schooling me. I appreciate yeah. it. Well, it's just, uh, in fact, it is stated, you know, it's one thing we have to make clear in the, in the document that that's, you know, unless we, you know, have a sideline of authenticating Charles Schultz, you know, Peanuts cartoons or, mm -hmm. um, but I would come and I would bring a black light. I would bring a, um, basically a flashlight, um, and a, uh, magnifying glass. And I would take a look at the painting. If it's, you know, I would also determine what kind of quality the image is. And like, even if you don't recognize the artist's name, doesn't mean that the piece is not worth anything, especially if you can tell that it is of a higher quality. Yeah piece you know right. if they it, knew what they were doing yeah you don't know all the artist names no. out there right you know no. so it'd be it's not uncommon to not recognize the name or the painting but still might be worth something because it, to a collector out there it's something they may want exactly and right. there are all sorts of collectors out there i got a call from someone the other day that in a similar situation had um had a bob ross painting right the guy from them. the tv with exactly. the afro i remember him yes happy little squirrels trees. yes yes, yes. <laughs> love bob ross well just to you you a clue his uh his paintings are going for you know anywhere between six hundred thousand and two million dollars are you serious i'm dead serious the ones that he did himself uh right there on tv and pbs when i was a kid watching exactly right? wow yeah that's amazing so yeah I, I need to go look and see if i have any bob ross <laughs> paintings back at home with happy little trees and such uh and so um and then you'll give that appraisal value what is that appraisal based on what it may go on auction or the general market price what do you appraise uh, get the value of? that's an excellent question because Thank you, I try. <laughs> there are several different markets that you would look into and it all depends on what you want to do with the painting if you want to have it um insured if it's something you think needs to be insured or i can say yes this worth this much money you might want to have that insured i would do a replacement value appraisal and basically that is the highest value you can put on basically monetary value you can put on an object because the it's basically where the the insurance company would be covering you to go out 
and pick out another piece. But some of these artworks are irreplaceable. Well, they are, yes, in a in a sense, but you you still can put a financial value on okay. them. So and, and that's your job to figure all that, that out. That is my job. And then you could right. do a fair market value. Like if you were looking to possibly sell the piece, then I would look to see what paintings by this artist or this genre or, you know, are going for on the market, mm-hmm. on the auction market primarily. Um, and with the the insurance replacement, you would look mostly at retail sales, gallery sales, and things of that nature. But um, when it comes to reselling, reselling the painting or um, doing an appraisal for the IRS, an estate appraisal, you also have to look at fair market, which tends to be between 10 to 15% less than what a replacement value would be. That's good to know. The government's always going to give you less than what it truly is <laughs> worth. Uh, we're talking with Elizabeth Ruffner. She's owner and principal of Ruffner Appraisals and Consulting. Make sure you check out her website, eruffner.com. You can also link up with her on LinkedIn, Elizabeth Ruffner. Uh, let's talk about technology and how it's influencing the, the art world today, uh, particularly with the online sales. And do you feel that's hurting or helping? Or what are your opinions along the technology movement? I think it's helping. You know, it's it's opened up the market immensely. Um, as anybody who's familiar with the internet and doing business on the internet um, would see, and it's also done something for uh, sales in artwork or in collectibles, where they would be like, for instance, um, you know, something regional. Like you could say moon pie memorabilia or um, Coca-Cola bottling memorabilia, things that would primarily be kept or known, marketed to just this region. People can log in from anywhere now to if they have a thing for moon pies, say they came to vacation here 20 years ago and, and thought it was the greatest thing ever. They can now bid in on, you know, um, pieces that would generally have a higher value just for the region than they would everywhere else. Yeah, the, the online platform has now opened up to anyone out there to be a collector from artifacts from around the globe. Right. Um, even those local, uh, maybe uh, in the past, local only appreciated uh, items. Yes. And, and now I can collect, you know, Coca-Cola bottles with Japanese writing on them, if that's what I like. I've got a good friend of mine here who's what you would call a picker. He's incredible at his job. He owns uh, the Antiquarian. And he has basically, because of eBay, and a great following for um, the pieces. And on top of that, he has a great eye. So he has developed a online following for the things he picks up and puts on eBay to sell. And he, you know, one of his um, Chinese objects are one of his strengths. And he actually has a following in China. Oh, wow. Yes. But so he's created himself as a profile of someone who knows good art, understands and appreciates it. The people will look to him to see what he's trending on and then uh, kind of ride his coattails. Well, it's not just art. It's it's collectibles and antiques. And he does a great job of going out and finding these things at estate sales. He also does estate sales. And point being, though, is that because of his eye and because of the Internet, um, he can sell pieces to uh, consistently all over the, the world. Um, and he's um, so basically the market 
has opened up mm-hmm. in that respect. Have you come across any aha moments where somebody thought they had something that was worth $5 and it turned out to be worth way more than that? Can you, you know, share with our listeners maybe a, a moment like that? Well, yeah. One of, um, one of the things I have to, you know, I start out explaining a lot of times is that just because something is valuable to you and also is a nice example of a piece of work, it still maintains that, you know, emotional value, sentimental value, all of that, even if the rest of the world doesn't want to buy it. Mm -hmm. So there's a big difference between monetary value and sentimental value. I have a lot of sentimental value with the objects in my home, but I think they're probably worth zero to anyone else. They're worth zero financially, possibly, but that does not mean that they do not retain a great deal of value. Right, truly. They mean a lot to me. They've been handed down through generations, and I certainly like seeing them displayed at the house, whether it be a a sculpture or painting or whatever I have, but uh, may not be of value to someone else. Exactly. Right. Well, a lot of financial value. Yeah, financial value. The emotional value is there uh, for sure. So, but yeah, it comes across anyone who had a uh, purchase something at a low price or thought they had something that was worth nothing and it turned out to be worth quite a bit that does happen um in estates for instance i just did uh, an estate a gentleman had passed away several months ago and was doing the irs estate for them and it turned out that one of the pieces of paper basically they had a graphite a pencil still life drawing that they were keeping at the time in a manila folder that was worth probably $15,000. They had no idea, right? They just liked it, I guess, and decided to keep it. Well, this family had a history of collecting through, um, and they um, they were big lovers of art. The family mm-hmm. had been giant fans of art throughout, but they had you know a folder of some prints and things, and this was one of the pieces. That's a fantastic sh- story, and I think a lot of people dream of that moment a little bit. There's even shows out there now with some of the storage wars and the pickers and stuff that they're all looking for that rare artifact, but truly that doesn't happen all the time, I would imagine. No, it doesn't, but rarely do I have a job that doesn't have something that hasn't come up in value. So whether it's an artifact or a painting or something in between, a drawing, something is going to increase the value. You don't see where things decrease in value, do you? Oh, yes, I do. You do. And (laughs) and what causes that? Well, the economy, the crash of the economy. Or the market demand. Yes. Right. I think i got a friend back home. She's really into collecting old American wooden furniture. And I guess the price fluctuates on that based on supply and demand. And do you come across that in your line of work? Yes. And furniture is tough because... um, Unless it has, you know, Thomas Jefferson, and I'm, I'm exaggerating somewhat, mm-hmm. but unless, you know, Thomas Jefferson has sat in it, then right. it's, you know, it's kind of tough to, <laughs> yeah, put, to a, put a huge price tag Yeah, on that it. should go in a museum, right, <laughs> right. if, if he sat in it. So uh, uh, we're talking with Elizabeth Ruffner, uh, owner and principal of Ruffner Appraisals and Consulting. You can check her out online at eruffner.com. I spell E-R-U-F-F-N-E-R. Um, and so what are you hoping to uh, find uh, for your business in 2016 and beyond? Are you looking for more clients? Or are you just looking for that one? Uh, unique artifact that you get to go appraise or what's on the horizon for you more clients 
you know, uh, more, yes, more, more clients. How, how is business finding you these days? Is it through referrals or do you have uh, partners out there actively recommending your services? It's mostly referrals and also um, websites. And I also have um, some great people in either lawyers, CPAs. Right, who are doing c- c- uh, state sales and they know they can lean on you to get a good, accurate appraisal. Do you just service the Chattanooga area or what is your uh, service area? Mostly the southeast so all around the southeast, you'd come down to Georgia, over to Alabama if needed. If needed, it, yes. Yeah, people can call you and you will make that trip out there. Correct. Uh, that's good. And, um, and and then your fees, let's talk about that. You don't have to say specifically how much it is, but how do you charge for Is it per item or do you come out there and look? Um, I mean, how do you charge? I charge by the hour. Okay. And um, basically it is a conflict of interest. In the old days, they used to charge as per the value of the collection. That's what I thought. You're right. But that, as you could see, would be a conflict of interest. So I have to make it very clear that, you know, my fees have nothing to do with how much the piece is actually worth or it's not. I mean, it's stated in the appraisal document that that I hand you. So, yes, I, I have to charge by the hour. So it probably would behoove me to have more than one painting for you to come out and <laughs> appraise as opposed to just one little eight by ten. Right. Or have as much information yes. that you have on that painting. That's what I ask my clients for before I head out there. I was like, dig up receipts, you yeah. know, everything you know about the provenance that mm-hmm. would save me some time. And does that storyline uh, oftentimes of where that painting or piece came from add value to or is it, again, that emotional, uh, you know, value that people are really putting that, uh, leaning on that for? What you're referring to is provenance. And yes, that can add quite a bit of value to it. So if you can prove it, where it came from, how long you've had it or who had it before you, it can uh, only increase the value. Exactly. And then what happens if I get a piece and it's appraised and I don't want to, it's so worth so much. I don't want to put it on display anymore. Can you recommend loaning it to a museum for them to hold on or put it in a safety deposit box? Where do you go from there? Well, from there you get it insured and um, it's up to you really what you want to do with it. Yes, you could um, find out if a museum would be interested in taking it on loan or possibly donating it to the museum or um, I'd, I hate to see pieces of art locked up in vaults. Right. Yeah, you want it to be enjoyed. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And especially if it's something you enjoy, then then by all means, put it on the wall, get it insured and, and install an alarm system mm-hmm. and don't tell everybody about it. Yeah. So uh, you're obviously not the only player in this space. There's lots of other praisers out there. But what separates you from your competition? That's a that's a good question. Number two of the day. So we're keeping track here. <laughs> right, right. Um, <laughs> the, I'm. I don't know. There are there are two other great appraisers in town that I'm aware of, mm-hmm. and I don't know. You know what I take the most pride in is the research. Um, behind the pieces and you know I have a habit of basically hopping down some rabbit hole and not letting go of of finding exactly who that person is like it for instance for that piece of paper that ended up being worth you know five figures or more um, had a feeling that it was worth some money because of the quality of the image and um, there was a signature at the bottom, but since the person's, it was Janvier, which is French for January, and a date of 1858 on it, so or 1836, excuse me. So long story short, start going through um, the artists, you know, 17th or 19th century European artists with the name Janvier. But there again, I wasn't sure if it 
was basically somebody just writing the month of when they made this drawing. So long story short, narrowed it down to three artists, started looking at what they did um, and comparing the styles and the paintings and the drawings. And then finally, you know, it took me about, I don't know, 30 minutes and found a image of a drawing, basically a sketch that this painter had done, whose pieces, whose paintings are going for, you know, $60,000, dollars $60 to $120,000 at auction in Europe. Mm -hmm. And it was the same guy. Wow. So to get the signature to find, and that's a great feeling for me. So I take pride in loving that part so, of yeah, the job. It sounds like you fully immerse yourself into each particular project, each client, and you can provide them personal service uh, to, to a level that uh, no one else can touch. Very good. And uh, and let's talk about Chattanooga as a whole here. Uh, we talked about your business, but you're a female entrepreneur. That must have been a big step for you, too. What motivated you uh, to, to do that? Well, it's funny because I didn't think of it as being that big of a step at the time because I had a two-year-old son at the time and was ready to go back to work and um, was having trouble finding a job. So it's, I decided to, well, I had some, um, after having some conversations with friends and, and former colleagues, um, kind of stumbled upon this mm -hmm. line of work. Um, it started out basically as cataloging people's collections, art collections in town. And then when I discovered really what being an appraiser was, what kind of work it entailed, it was a perfect fit for me. I love the art. I love the research. I like people. So yeah, it, it, um, so what motive? I didn't realize I was taking such a big step because I was more focused on, um, basically helping to support yeah following your passion and following my passion right and Correct. then it, you learn, look back and you're like wait a minute i've started a business here exactly and even though that wasn't so daunting to you in the beginning a lot of people find that step that entrepreneurial first step very challenging and never make that uh, but here you are three years later and you've got a, a great extensive background and clients having been serviced you've uh, seen a lot of uh, artifacts come across um, your bow and you've, you've helped people uh, put a value onto what they're holding over there. And so where do you see your business growing within the, uh, the next couple of years? I hope to see it growing, obviously, with more appraisal clients. And also, one of the things I would like to do more of, I've done some, is providing market research for people who are interested in getting into collecting. So, for instance, I've had a client that called me. He and his wife were interested in a painting in um, New Orleans, in a gallery in New Orleans. And they were new to collecting and also to this style. And they were going to, you know, well, it was a sizable amount for anybody to put on a painting or to put on, you know, down for a piece of art. And they did like it. They just wanted to make sure they weren't being taken for a ride. So they asked me to research the price on the painting, do some market research and see if it was, you know, a good buy or not a solid uh, so they decision. just knew they wanted to get into collecting. They weren't sure where to begin, and they just had a pile of money ready to spend, and they came to you, right? <laughs> but they were just being careful with their money. No, that's wise. It's exactly. definitely You don't want to just go out there and buy something because you think it looks good. You want to make sure you're buying something because the whole art world thinks it looks well, good. Well, I don't know about that. If you look good, I mean, if it looks good to you yep. and you have the money to spend on it, then great. You know, that is – I'm I'm – not, I, I don't think that people need to buy art just for 
um, investment value, you know, yeah. investment deals because art is an incredibly ill liquid asset. It's not like selling a stock. Right. It takes a great deal of time and money to turn around and sell a mm-hmm. piece of art. Very good. And so when you're not out there evaluating and appraising other people's artwork, what do you like to do in your off time to kind of stay focused and motivated to help your clients? Well, to stay focused and motivated, well, I do, my two-year-old son has turned into a seven-year-old okay, son. Okay, so he keeps you pretty busy, I he imagine. He does keep me busy. Shout out to the boy out yes, there. Keep up the good work. Keep, make mom proud. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I am uh, busy with that. I'm, and I love to run and um, love where Chattanooga has gone, both with its its outdoor yeah, no doubt. Here in at Chattanooga, activities. there's so much to offer downtown or surrounding area um, that you can always get out there and see and do and feel nature and just really enjoy Chattanooga. So it sounds like you're fully immersed here in the town of Chattanooga. Are you originally from here? I was not born here, but we moved here. My family moved here when I was, I you know, around six years old. So you you've seen a change then. I have seen it change. It's been yes. amazing. Yeah, and we you hear that week after week here on Chattanooga Business Radio. People who have been around this town a long time truly feel we are experiencing a renaissance here in Chattanooga, and only great things can uh, come out of it uh, with people like yourself out there doing good things in the business world. So well, thank you. So thank you so much, Elizabeth Ruffner. Uh, please tell our listeners how they can find out more information about your services. You can w- visit my website at eruffner.com, www.eruffner.com. Also, my phone number is area code 423-227-0363, and I do have a LinkedIn profile as well. So make sure you uh, search out uh, Elizabeth out there on LinkedIn if you want to get linked with her and find out more information about getting your artwork or artifacts appraised. She'll be honest, fair, and give you a good quote on what to do with that. So thank you so much for taking the time out to speak with us today. If we can help you further your mission or cause here at uh, Business Radio X, please let us know. We'd love to have you even back with a delighted client. I think that would be great as well. So thank, thank you. you very much. Uh, so if your company is out there doing something interesting to genuinely serve your market, your community, and your profession, please reach out to us directly through the contact page on the website, businessradiox.com. Thank you to Stone Payton, Lee Cantor, and on behalf of the entire Business Radio X network, I'm Ryan Redhawk McPherson. We will see you on the radio. 